This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Uplifting Impact podcast. I'm Justin Ponder, Chief Information Officer with Uplifting Impact, and I'm excited to be hosting you today as we dive deeper into our journey to make the world more diverse, equitable, and inclusive. Today, I'm very excited to be talking with Rajiv Kapoor. Rajiv is CEO of 1105 Media Inc., a leading provider of business-to-business marketing, events, and media services. As a global business and technology leader and chief executive officer, Rajiv reinvents, resuscitates business cultures, transforming stagnant sales into dynamic multi-million dollar growth, for small and middle market companies. A true rainmaker and innovator, Rajiv is passionate about repairing broken market strategies, company cultures, and leadership stagnation to identify and capture new business opportunities. He is the author of Chase Greatness, Enlightened Leadership for the Next Generation of Disruption. Welcome to the show, Rajiv. Thank you for joining us. Justin, my friend, thank you so much for having me. It's a true honor to be on here with you and to to take your time and take the listeners' time. So we got a quick icebreaker for you that we'd like to start things off with. So the one you've got for today is, if you could switch your role for any other role in your company for a day, which would it be and why? I would absolutely switch my role with one of my top salespeople. And I'll tell you why. So I started my career in sales. I started my career as a 100% commission salesperson for an old computer company called Gateway. You might, some people might remember it, oh, the cow yes. spotted boxes yes, and everything. Yes. And, then, the you know, and then I went to Dell and I was a sales guy at Dell for a long time, whatever. But just that thrill of being in front of the customer, cutting the deals, you know, calling people, you know, just, you know, being in front of that, you know, and just, you know, building those relationships would, would be fun. Cause once you kind of, get into the C-suite, you know, you're more focused on the overall health of the business, whether it's operations, HR, finance, IT, some of the stuff is mundane, some of the stuff is boring, but the real action is on the sales side. So I think that that's where I probably really find myself. And plus they get to travel a little bit and have some fun and, you know. Absolutely. And I heard you say about making those connections. What is it about making the sales connection that resonates with you so much? Why that? Well, look, I mean, it's, what we do here at 11 to 5, we connect buyers with sellers, right? And so, you know, the, the cool thing is that you know, you, you're really trying to provide a value-added service by saying, look, I have a solution that I think is going to help your company grow and help your company be better. And ultimately, I think right now we're in a, we're in a tech recession, even though we're not in a kind of full-blown recession, but we, you know, my company is very tech-heavy, mm. but we are in a tech recession, right? If you look at all the layoffs that are happening around the country around the world, they're all, all the vast majority are happening in the tech space, right? So Silicon Valley, those areas. And so because of that, we're, we're being impacted some with campaigns and things like that, not, not, not coming to fruition. And so, you know, it's important to remember and realize that, you know, you have to continue to innovate, be different, diversify, be able to go to your customers and find new ways to help them grow. And that's ultimately what our tagline is at 1105, which is your growth is our business. And so 
we, we really want our customers to grow. And that's really up to, that really is our salespeople, our marketing people, and everybody that, that supports it underneath, right? And you mentioned about this growing, and you also mentioned the recession, which ties to a third thing, a major theme that you talk about, for example, in your book, Chase Greatness, Enlightened Leadership for the Next Generation of Disruption. How can we think about recession and all these different challenges as disruption? And how do you encourage people to embrace disruption, especially when they, it feels like the sky is falling? Well, here's the thing. Recessions are temporary. Mm. Disruptions are constantly happening, right? right? We haven't been in a recession for, for since probably 2008. You know, people right. thought COVID was going to be a recession, but there's so much money pumped into the system and whatever the case may be. Obviously, we're paying for some of that now through inflation and some of the other challenges. But for the most part, you know, my company we actually thrived during COVID. I mean, we did really well. I mean, we lost our events business, but our digital business skyrocketed. And, and so there was, so that was, so there's that part of it. But ultimately remember that a recession is usually 12 to 18 months, maybe max. They make, they make some changes in interest rates. People start spending money again. You know, they lose credit. Acquisitions aren't happening again. More and more companies go IPO again. More and more wealth gets created, whatever the case might be. And so that, so that's, so that's what will eventually happen here. Now, whether it happens in, by the end of this year or end of next year or early in 2025, who the hell knows? But the point of it is, is that it's temporary. But disruption is never temporary. Disruption mm -hmm. is always happening. As a matter of fact, if in the next two years, the next 24 months, 24 to 30 months, the, there's going to be massive disruption. We're already seeing it already. Yes. You know? in, in the book, I talked about AI. I didn't talk about ChatGPT because right. ChatGPT wasn't even there. I even just that short time. Yeah. 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 So, you know, it was more around what's happening in AI in general, around machine learning and those kinds of things, right? Now you have ChatGPT, which is disrupting things, mid-journey and all these other things, text-to-video, text-to-imagery, all these different types of things, you know? It's it's really exciting because the person or the people in your listeners that embrace this technology, they are the, and they understand and realize that this type of AI and these, this type of disruption is going to allow them to have a co-pilot sitting next to them while they're working. It's going to allow for a second brain sitting next to them is going to allow them to grow. They're going to become the leaders of the future in this space. And I can tell you right now, there's like, oh my God, my job's going to go away. No, your job's probably not going to go away. What's going to happen is your job might transform a little bit. New jobs will get created. And if you think about that, new jobs are created when the first PCs hit the desk. Oh my God, all these people are going to lose their jobs to the PCs. Then, oh my God, all these people are going to lose their jobs because of the internet. Oh my God, all these people are going to lose their jobs because of e-commerce. Oh my God, people are going to lose their jobs because of whatever, YouTube or whatever it was going to be, right? But the point of it is, or the iPhone or, or you know, whatever it might be, the point of it is, is that humans adapt, right? right. And new, new jobs get created. And so the so disruption is always happening. And in the next 24 months, not only do you have a technological shift happening, you also have a demographic shift happening. Absolutely. And the demographic shift, and the demographic shift is that in the next 24 months, the majority of the workforce in the country is going to be Gen Z, millennial. And for the first time, women will have a slight majority in the workforce. And, you know, and, and so you have that happening, you have, you have massive technological disruption. And then on top of that, you have this whole work from home and this whole other thing happening and people can go anywhere type of thing. And you ask mother, and you're in DC right now, so you know if there's some polarization out there too, but yeah. you have all those things combined. So, so that's going to cause massive disruption, right? Especially as boomers exit the workforce more and more, as Gen Xers get older and they start to exit the workforce over the next five years, 10 years. So it's going to be up to the Gen Z millennials and then Gen Alpha after that to come up and they're, and they are, 
They are the most connected generation. Just like I'm a Gen Xer, when I was a Gen Xer, I was the most connected generation. So they're going to be the most, you know, so they're going to be the Gen, you know, Gen Alpha is going to be the most connected generation. They're going to be all into AI and everything, right? And so, you know, so it's just, it's just a constant change and a constant evolution. So that, that, that's what I mean by disruption and recession. And, you know, it's so bad that, but the disruption is always going to happen. And how do you coach leaders into that? For example, the scenario you laid out, I'm a Gen Xer. And you're talking about all these rapid changes that I can't even wrap my head around. And even the examples that you laid out, oh my God, chat GPT is going to cause all these changes. Oh my goodness. And all the examples you gave us, I'm going to lose my job. How do you coach people down and especially leaders to embrace those disruptions in the workplace as opposed and get over that initial feeling of threat change? It's bad. It's going to harm me. How do you get them to embrace this? and embrace the next generation of disruption to have enlightened leadership as opposed to simply wanting to preserve the way things are. So I think there's two, so there's two questions in there, which is how do you get them to embrace and then kind of more of what is enlightened leadership, right? Right. Yeah, absolutely. So, so well, let's start with how you get them to embrace it. So when, so literally the day, so literally the, the, the day that uh, ChatGPT you know, you know, came out into the market was back, I think end of November, early December, that, that 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 afternoon. So I, I heard about it in the morning. That eve afternoon evening, I sent it to my two sons who were in college. Hey guys, check it out. And Justin, what was interesting is they they said to me, Dad, we already know this. <laughs> and 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 what happened was, and remember, it had just been released eight hours earlier. Yes. And my one son's at USC, my one son's at University of Miami. Okay. Opposite coast. How did that happen? It it went so viral so fast across Snapchat. Instagram, you know, all these social media places where all these kids hang out. It, it was, it, it was like, it was like a raging wildfire that hit everybody. As soon as one heard about it, it all went everywhere. And right. within eight hours, every, nearly every college student in the country within eight hours knew what it was. Yes. And that, and that's just insane. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I, I, I thought I was kind of fast, but I, I wasn't. And so <laughs> you were eight and hours. that night I was eight hours late. And, and so I, I sent it to my team, my management team. And they're like, what the blankety blank is wrong with you? This is the dumbest thing ever. This is nothing. This is just going to be a, you know, what in the wind. And they didn't get it. And then guess what? They started hearing about it and they started hearing about more and more. And I kept sending more stuff, more stuff, more stuff, more stuff. Right. So then you, what you realize at the end of the day is you have to lead by example. When you have these massive disruption changes, you have to lead by example. So, you know, I would start hitting them with why, you know, we started going over it. You know, my management team was, I started dedicating probably a third of my management team to AI. Wow. So we started talking about how we started giving, I started giving examples of how it could work and they still didn't believe it. It wasn't until probably, I would say probably February, March when they got true religion mm-hmm. on it. And then, and then in May, I brought the entire management team together here in Southern California and we, we all got together. And we went through a we went through a full two day offsite where we went through point by point of how it's going to transform, and everybody had to come to the table with examples of how we can how they can use it in their business and transform their business. And guess what? Not a single one of them talked about laying people off or cutting jobs. If anything, they all talked about how it could enhance jobs, how it could help reduce burnout, how it could take somebody who's working sixty hours a week, you know, or, or you know, and by the way, they shouldn't be working sixty hours a week, but if they are, if that's what they feel and they're burnt out, well, great. Now you've got this tool. By your side, who can help you write your emails, help you write your social media posts, who can help you create up to the foundations of, of, of whatever blog post you need to create, whatever the case might be, it's going to give you back time. And I think that's the beauty of where these tools are going. It's going to do the one thing money can't buy, which is money can't buy time. 
But if you use these tools, you're going to be able to buy time back for yourself in the day. So that's why you've got to compete on experts you know, on, on these tools. So that's, so that's, so, and you have to show that by example. And you have to keep sending, you have to keep hitting them overhead with examples of, of how it's working other places, how others are embracing it, how others are using it, right? And so that's why. And then they start, and they start to get on board. And then, you know, to me, it was a, somewhat of a burn the boat moment, mm. which is, you know, so I'll give you an example. So we spend, Probably thirty to forty thousand dollars a year on a on, on a software that on, where, where we can get imagery, and I'm not going to say which company, but we get some imagery, right? But if we embraced AI, well, we don't spend thirty forty thousand dollars. Maybe we only spend five or ten, right? Well, I can I cannot take that twenty or thirty thousand dollars. Either I can put it to the bottom line, or I can apply it towards healthcare benefits. I can apply it towards the raise pool, bonus pools. I can maybe apply it that 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 might be half a headcount, uh, you know, entry level headcount for somebody here in, in California. So. Whatever the, the point of it is, I can now reallocate funds because I'm able to use these tools, right? And you know, we, we have people who are, who are using it already, and we're already seeing we're already seeing um, good results here in the company. You know, we're we're seeing our content, the number of pieces of content where we're putting out every day is going up. You know, we have uh, people who are probably we have probably saved already. Probably we are right now saving. I saw a number yesterday about 265 man hours. Wow. You know, in a month, um, just by using uh, AI tools. So when you think about that, 265 man hours, you know, across, you know, 130 some odd employees, that's roughly approximately two hours an employee. Well, guess what? That's, uh, that that's t- doesn't sound like a lot, but, th- but that's just today already, right? And by the way, it's, it doesn't, it's not linear like that. It's, you know, for some people, it might be six hours or eight hours a week. Some people might be none because they don't use a lot of AI tools, right? Right. So, like our finance department right now doesn't use a lot of AI tools, right? Our IT department, BreakFix, helping fix a computer or a laptop, whatever. They're not using other AI tools. But, you know, marketing teams, the sales teams, other places where they are using a lot of the AI tools, maybe the, their numbers may, might be six or eight hours a week. Wow. And if I can give back those people an extra an hour or two of their life back, then, then they just feel less stressed. The, the burnout mm-hmm. becomes less, right? They feel much more, they feel happier in their jobs, whatever the case might be. So, so that's kind of where, where you see it going, right? Now, in terms of enlightened leadership, Enlightened leadership is built off the foundation of servant leadership, right? Yes. And we all know what servant leadership is, right? Servant leadership is, hey, Justin, I work for you. I'm the CEO, but I work for you. What tool do you need to do your job? How can I help you be successful within the company? Enlightened leadership says, hey, Justin, not only am I going to help you be successful within the walls of the company, how can I help you be successful outside the walls of the company? And that's, that's what enlightened leadership How can I help you spend more time with your family? How can I help you... You know, how do I help you, you know, live a healthier and happier life? You know, so for example, here at 1105, we have not mandated a return to office. Wow. And I, and, yeah. you know, so, you know, and people love it. Yeah. And so, well, well, gee, well, people are taking advantage of you. Well, no, they're not because the job's getting done. If right. the job's not getting done, guess what? Then we'll come back to the office. Or if the job's not getting done, the person's going to get fired. So, you know, so, you know, for to me, it's all, it's a management issue. So these, you know, yes, I understand that some of these, bigger, massive companies. Like I think Disney has now said four days a week and stuff like that, right? For some, maybe for some of these bigger, massive companies where you have, where you need to have that collaboration across so many different business units, maybe it might make more sense for them to have some, some of that uh, in the office. But I know that companies are like NVIDIA, where it's, my, it's uh, and I think, and I, might, and I believe this is correct, but I think like even like NVIDIA, which is right now the fastest, one of the fastest growing AI companies right now, right? I think that they're even like, hey, look, you know, you know, try to come two days a week, but they haven't really mandated it. 
right? And so, and right. the work's getting done and they're growing and the stock prices went crazy. So, so look, I think it all depends on the company. I think it all depends on, on your culture and it all depends on the leadership and how they embrace it. And, you know, not what one size does up at all, but for my company, it's fine because look, you know, at the end of the day, do I care if the job gets done at 10 a.m. or 10 p.m.? Do I care if the job gets done here in Southern California or if the job's getting done in, in Rome, Italy, if the person's on vacation? I mean, we're outsourcing stuff already to India and other places. Well, who cares if my employee's sitting in Rome versus outsourcing something to India or the Philippines? So it's the right. same thing, right? The long as the job's getting done. Is the job getting done? Great. So I'm happy. The job's not getting done, then fine. Well, we'll take whatever action we need to take to make sure the job gets done. And, you know, in my attrition rate, over the last eight, nine months is zero. Wow. We haven't lost a single employee in the last eight or nine months, which is awesome. You're able to meet them where they're at and provide some flexibility. Yeah, because, you know, and they, and they realize they get a lot of flexibility. So, like, women in particular, like the staff on my new women, right? They, they, they tell me all the time, hey, look, I don't have to get up an extra hour in the morning just to get ready and put on makeup. Or I, I can go to the gym. I can help take care of the kids in the morning. You know, I can, you know, I... I don't have to rush home and sit in traffic or whatever. Even, even or people the, living even, with chronic pain, like, yeah, I can't be in a cubicle sitting on a chair for nine hours. But if you let me have a four-hour break in the middle of the day, I'll produce the best work you've ever seen by 9 p.m. Yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah, so that's that. Like, you know, and the other small things we did, you know, like when the whole George Floyd thing happened, you know, like it was like I realized that no matter what I said and did, just the, the sheer numbers say that 40% of the workforce probably wasn't going to be happy with every decision I make, right? Just mm -hmm. the way it is, yeah. right? So what I decided to do was I said, you know what we're going to do? I want you guys to get involved in your communities, either way you want to get involved. So my best way to embrace that was to give you a day off to go vote. To me, I think that that's the best thing that anybody could go do in order to really to really talk about how they want their future to be is to go vote. And so I gave a day. I give I give my entire company every November seventh, eighth, depending what day it falls on the calendar, they they get they get a paid day off to go vote. And that's, and, and that to me is huge. And people say, well, well, what if they do it by mail? Well, if they do it by mail, then great. Then go be a poll worker. Go, go, go. We'll go pick up trash in your community. Go, go, go be part of your community. Well, what if they don't want to do that? Well, then take a mental wellness day and just hang out at home, go spend time with your kids, go to Disneyland, go to the beach, go, go hang out, go shopping, go whatever you want to do. But the point of this is that I'm giving you that time to go do it. And how you decide to use your time is up to you. But you definitely have to go. And I hear kind of this theme, like we were talking about disruption and encouraging leaders to adapt. And then I hear you also talking about enlightened leadership and finding ways to address kind of the whole life of the team member. How do you go about creating cultures that don't just simply passively accept and adapt, which is very important. I adapt to the change. I adapt to the disruption that's happening to me. How do you go forward to also create cultures where they proactively seek it out? How do I become an enlightened leader that encourages my teams to be disruptive, which could also be synonymous with innovative, even if it's in ways that you mentioned with servant leadership, what are the tools that you need to do your job? And what if they start coming up with ideas that challenge us like how do you encourage your teams to save leaders from themselves and come up with the kinds of disruption we might feel uncomfortable with and comfortable about but are precisely the things we need to be innovative how do you encourage the creation of disruption beyond the adaptation to it yeah look so remember that there's two sides of an organization mm -hmm. right you have you have the revenue profitability, EBITDA-driven side, increasing shareholder wealth side of the business, right? 
then you have the side of the business that says, I got to create a great company culture. Right. Right. Because the greater company, the best company culture I can create will help fuel that. Right. What should, should help fuel that. Right. So I made a comment just a few minutes, a couple of minutes ago about how you must vote. Well, I don't know if they vote or not. Right. I try to encourage them to vote. Right. So I try to, I try to create a culture where you go get involved. Right. Take whatever action you feel like you need. But I also try to create a culture that's, that's built on a lot of empathy. I try to, try, try to create a culture that's built on a lot of gratitude. I try to create a culture that's built on a lot of resilience. We, we create a culture that's built a lot of, on uh, accountability and transparency. And so th- those are kind of the key five attributes of gratitude, resilience, empathy, accountability, and transparency that we try to build that then permeates throughout the whole our entire organization. And on top of that, what we do is every quarter we do recognition events where we recognize you know, the top salespeople, the top performers in the business units, you know, the, t- the people that were the top innovators, you know, the, you know, the people who, you know, who maybe had the best customer service reports or whatever, whatever it is that we're going to talk about, we'll talk about. And in that time, I get to speak to all 100, 100 plus employees we walked through. Hey, this is how we did. This is where we are. It's what we need to embrace. This is how we're going. Right now, we talked about AI a lot already on this call, on this podcast. And, you know, we're, we're doing workshops in my company right now where we're doing every other week, we're doing workshops for, for the employees on AI and how to use chat GPTs, how to use all these different things, how to use different AI tools in your job. I believe part of my Part of my responsibility beyond making money for the business is to also uplift my employees, mm. get, get them ready, right? And continue to uplift my management team, get, make sure they're ready, right? Because the, be- the, the true sign of an amazing leader is if, you, if I were to leave the company, they continue to thrive. It's still going, yes. Right? Yes. And, so the, and that's the sign of, the, of what I think is an amazing leader, and, that, and that's what I strive to do. And you mentioned early on about the demographic shift, especially along the lines of age, becoming very quickly a majority of folks in the U.S. workforce being millennials, Generation Z, and then eventually Generation Alpha. And you mentioned the connectivity being drastically different. What are some of the other key differences that you see that leaders should prepare for to be an enlightened leader with this huge age shift? Because with it, we see the largest, quickest, fastest, broadest age shift, but also along with that the broadest shift in workplace philosophy. So what are some of the things that you would advise enlightened leaders to be prepared for as that age shift happens? Well, number one is I would advise them it's going to happen. So don't fight it. <laughs> it's happening. Yes. <laughs> it's just going to happen. You know, so when I wrote the book, I, I took a copy of the book to um, the Dean of the business school at USC, Jeff Garrett. And Jeff was a new Dean at the U- at USC business school at Marshall school. And that's where I did my MBA. And I went to go talk to him, and he, he's the guy that built Wharton. And he he left Wharton to come to USC. And I took him the book, and we were talking about the book. He told me the premise of the book, and I told him what I just told you. He looked at me and said, you know, Rajiv, what people don't understand is that it's a demographic shift. As populations age, just new, new demographics come in with new, new ideas, new, new thoughts. It's just an evolutionary change in the workforce. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing anybody can do to stop it. No amount of somebody jumping on Twitter and acting totally stupid and saying dumb shit stuff, sorry for my French, you know, is, is, is going to change it. And so it's, it's going to happen. It's going to come. You have to embrace it. And it's, it's getting, it's getting, you know, the good news here is like, if you look at my management team, I think the average age of my management team is, wow, uh, probably in the mid to high forties, I think, right. you know, if, if not, maybe a little bit higher. So we're kind of so we're kind of that demographic that would say, oh, we don't like this change, but no, I mean mm-hmm. everybody's embracing it. Everybody knows and gets it because 
you know, because, you know, I've, I've been, I've been telling them all the time that, look, it's going to happen. It's going to change. It's going to come. And then it's about making sure, and then it's about creating a partnership between, between an older demographic and that, and that up, up, and the upcoming demographic and how to work together, how they can work together, how, how they can show each other, how they can get to, and, and you bring, you know, and, and so one of the things we like to do is we like to do, we do like to bring in a lot of partnering within the business. You know, we do like to have, we do it, we do a lot of meetings. Well, we don't do a ton of meetings, but we do a lot of meetings and discussions where we try to solicit ideas from, from the front line. So if you think about it, like our customer service teams or sales teams that tend to be a little bit on the younger side, they, they are absolutely encouraged to come up with new ideas, new ways of doing sales, new ways of doing marketing, new ways of doing customer service. You know, when you fly on an airplane, Justin, and you know, we, we were talking before we jumped on the podcast <laughs> that you were having some flight issues, but when you're sitting down in your seat and the flight attendant comes up and they, they do the whole safety check, yes. what do they say when the mask, if in case of an emergency, a mask is going to call, fall from the ceiling? What do they tell you to do first? Secure your mask first before assisting Why? others. Why? Because you, could, because you could pass out and then you can't help anybody else. Exactly. Right? And so because of that, I make sure that my team understands and realizes that my 100-plus employees are the most – are my number one customer. Not, it's, it's, it's not my customers buying our solutions. They are my number one customer. Those are my number two customers. Because the more I can take care of them, the more I can provide solutions for them, the more I can make their job easier, the more I can give them tools to be successful, the more I can provide that partnership across the different demographics, the more successful and happier they're going to be, the less attrition we're going to have, the more they're going to think outside the box, the more they're going to take better care of the external customer. So to me, a CEO's number one customer should always be their internal customer first, then their external customer. That's fantastic. So you've shared a lot of thoughts and ideas about your previous book about Chase Greatness, but I also hear glimmers of a new book coming up. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and its content area? Yeah, you know, so I, a couple months ago, started writing a new book, and it's probably going to come out in the September, October timeframe. It's called AI Made Simple, A Beginner's Guide to Generative Intelligence. And it's all about, you know, I kind of wrote a book to say, you know, how do I get, you know, if I, if I wanted to write a book about AI and ChatGPT and all these tools that are coming down the road, how do I do it so like my mom could read the book, right? Or, mm. you know, or whomever, right? My wife or a close friend of mine could read the book and, and you know, who's not super technical, whoever it might be. And they can just read it and they, and they can get at least, if nothing else, a good basic understanding. And so I'm excited to say, look, we did just did the cover design this week and it's going to go for copy edit here in the next few days. And so that's exciting. I think it's, you know, hopefully by the September, October timeframe, it'll be out there and, uh, you know, in time for Christmas, and so uh, that's so that's kind of the next big thing. And it's really, it's it's really just about understanding and realizing that you know the, the, this is a major, major, major game changing shift in the way we're all going to live our lives. And yeah. so, so it's just how do you embrace it? And what do you hope is the major thing people get from that besides learning about the changes? What do you hope they get from your book? Look, I, I think the book does a really good job of balancing all the cool advantages of it. It also talks about some of the challenges of it. it talks about some of the fears of it. But hopefully, by the time they get done reading it, and I and I try to like I, this is not just a giant rosy picture of like, hey, is everything wonderful? No, there's <laughs> potentially. Look, we all know that there could be some potentially bad actors out there who do use it for deep fakes and for voice cloning and you know some really bad things, right? They could do some of that stuff, right? And so. But here's what I know, right? Is that 
you know, the, the good guys normally win this stuff and uh, that, uh, that there will be good AI to combat the bad AI. And at the end of the day, don't be afraid. I think if there's one big takeaway, it's like, look, okay, hey, I could take, I could do this. It's easy. So it's, it's, it's not scary. So, so don't be afraid of the future. And I think that's been a comforting theme throughout this entire conversation about being, don't be afraid of the recession. Don't be afraid of disruption. Don't be afraid of this enlightened leadership. Don't be afraid of AI. Don't be afraid. Embrace the change. So thank you very much yeah. for this, Rajiv Kapoor. So thank you for being with us. I know folks are listening and they are enthralled, very excited to read Chasing Greatness, but also this next book. How can they get in touch with you to continue learning with you? Well, in terms of the first book, Chase Greatness, it's on Amazon or it's on, I think there's an audiobook version. Well, not, I think it's an audiobook on Spotify as well. There's Audible, et cetera. It's on Barnes & Noble, Target, and other places. So that's the book, right? Uh, in terms of getting hold of me, uh, you can email me. You, well, first of all, you can connect with me on LinkedIn. And that, that's easy. My last name is K-A-P-U-R. So people can find me, Rajiv Kapoor, on LinkedIn and 1105 Media. That's 1105 Media. I'm, I'm there and I accept request. Just tell me that you heard, yeah, that you heard me on, on your podcast. And uh, so that's exciting. Uh, then uh, I don't do much Twitter because I'm not a fan. But I do. But I'm on Instagram. My Instagram handle is at Rajiv Kapoor. And you can always email me. Uh, Rajiv at rajivkapoor.com or Rajiv at 1105media.com. So those are some really easy ways of getting hold of me. Fantastic. And we'll make sure to also put it in the show notes. So once again, thank you very much, Rajiv, for your helping us learn through these situations. Thank you so much. Take care, Justin. Thank you so much. Best of luck. And thank you to all of you out there listening. We're so glad that you tuned into today's week's episode of the Uplifting Impact podcast. We need more people like you to uplift the impact. In order to do so, be sure to share this episode, comment on it, or going to our website at upliftingimpact.com or provide your thoughts directly to us through LinkedIn at Uplifting Impact, Justin Ponder, and Deanna Singh. Until next week, keep uplifting the impact. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.